Have a question for Bob? A comment? A complaint? Hit up the authority message line. Call 216-525-1806 and make your voice heard. That's 216-525-1806. Call the authority message line. Yeah, that's a good idea. As we begin hour number two, now at eight minutes after 10 o'clock on this Tuesday, the second morning of the third month of the year of our Lord 2021. I love getting messages, especially from left-wingers who... um, (laughs) I'm going to do this now. Kirsten, I was waiting, but I'm going to do this because his name is mentioned in this. And I'm going to let him respond to this message on the authority message line when I bring Peter, Peter Kirstenau in right after this. But this, you got to listen to this one. I think it came in yesterday, but you got to listen. How dare you, Bob, compare what happened on January 6th, I was just listening to this again, with what happened in the summer. Those two things bear little resemblance. Nobody got killed. There was no major violence. It was just basically sometimes, and I saw the demonstrations, police shooting people, knocking down a 75-year-old man who just asked a question, and being brutal. Don't give me that. The only two cops killed this summer, or three, there were three policemen killed in the summer, and all of them were killed by, uh, two of them were killed by Boogaloo Boys, and the other one was killed by a homeless person that had nothing to do with the riot. The, 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 the St. Louis police captain. And as far as Peter Kersenow's claim that the police killed no one during the summer riots is not true. It's not true, and it's easily verifiable that it's not true. A man named Jorge Gomez was killed in New Mexico, in in uh, in Las Vegas, and there were others. So, you got your facts wrong. Now, it's a little late to change your game, but you know, start working on it. It's the third time I've listened to it now, and I can't stop laughing at the the cacophony of 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 you know the sound of this guy. The the I can't even describe. I'm looking for synonyms. Curse now. Help me describe a synonym for wrong, incorrect, uh, ignorant. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm looking for another way to say it, Pete, and I can't find any because I'm literally every syllable of every word in that entire minute and a half long phone message, Peter Kersenow, was wrong. I mean, all of it, not some of it, all of it, Pete. Hi. Good morning. How are you? Sir? I'm doing well, Bob. Uh, 300 and uh, I think 342 days until the Browns play in the Super Bowl with Kersenow, I hope. So uh, it's a beautiful day in Cleveland. Um, I will tell you, I, I don't know how to respond to what I just heard. Uh, I, I will say, though, that I bet you if you speak to 70% or 80% of the MSNBC uh, audience that they would say the same thing because they see one reality, and it's a reality that's completely distorted. I mean, they talk about conservative media. The conservative media at least is grounded in, in facts. Not that they get it right, but they don't intentionally distort in the manner that the liberal media does and distort drastically. It's truly astonishing. Uh, you know, again, how do you respond to that? Uh, when when he talks about only three cops killed, only, only three cops killed, all right? Uh, talk to those cops' families, and also talk to... Which is also example, inaccurate, by the way. There were more, and there were over 1,000 cops injured in the last right. summer-slash-fall melees. David Dorn was shot by somebody as he reported to defend right. a store from looting. It was directly related to the to the riots. And the police shot 
zero people in all of those uh, uh, riots from Minneapolis to you know to Portland to Seattle to Oakland to LA to Cleveland to Chicago to all over the country there were not one, there was not one rioter that was shot in the course of any of those uh, any of those riots by police officers and yet Ashley uh, Babbitt was shot but for trying to climb through a window unarmed not resisting not not attacking not doing anything she was shot by a Capitol police officer this white woman and you haven't heard a word about it uh, it's, it's but I think one of the biggest differences for your caller is that I don't know of any conservatives who didn't immediately, without any prompting, without responding to any of the allegations from an MSNBC or anyone else, condemned what, what happened on January 6th. Nobody was in favor of that. No conservatives did. But Democrats were filmed, were videotaped, cheering on the riots that occurred over the summer. And we've talked about this before. We know that our current vice president actually set up bail funds and money for to bail out some of these folks. And if I'm not mistaken, one of those individuals, when they got out, went on to commit rape. Uh, this is not a small thing. And they were saying that it was mostly peaceful. Uh, Kamala Harris herself was saying they should not stop. Billions of dollars in damage, the most expensive set of riots in the history of the United States of America. Scores of people were killed during those riots. And yet the Democrats never once, not until it was late September when Joe Biden finally came out of the cave, when the polls showed that the lack of response on the part of the Democrats, the cheerleading on the part of the Democrats actually had a negative effect on their polling. And finally, he made a tepid response uh, related to that. But during the entire period of the actual rioting, cricket, not just crickets from them, cheerleading from them. It was unforgivable. But of course, when you have almost the entire media on your side willing to say while standing in front of a burning building that it was mostly peaceful, the average person, such as maybe 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 your listener who's watching MSNBC and CNN and in good faith only gets his information from those sources or similar sources, they may in good faith believe that eh, nothing to see here, move along. Yeah, that that's exactly right. Peter Kirstenau, by the way, uh, I never gave a proper introduction. I think most people know by now. But Peter, of course, is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, as well as an attorney, host of the Kirstenau Report, and best-selling author as well. I just wanted to get all that in as we dive into the rest of the uh, the news stories, uh, Pete, that I want to talk to you, I, talk to you about. I just figured I would throw that one out there now because uh, your name was mentioned in it. He has left a message in the past that I did not save in which he criticizes you for all of your incorrect uh, 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 information that you give. The misinformation that you give, which I just thought was kind of hilarious, so I figured I'd give you a chance to respond to that one. All right, Pete, um, I want to ask you a little bit about CPAC, and I want to ask you about the direction of the Republican Party. Sunday, uh, President Trump gave an hour-and-a-half-long address in which he did everything but declare himself a candidate for 2024. Um, some say that's by design, that he's not really going to run in 2024, but he wants to remain uh, you know, kind of the centerpiece of the Republican Party. Jim Jordan declared him to be the leader of the conservative movement, the leader of the Republican Party, and he hopes the leader of the American people again as president in 2024. Others heard Ron DeSantis. Others heard uh, um, uh, uh, Christy Nome and some of the other young, fresh faces, also all a part of the MAGA movement, and said, yeah, th- those should be the, the, front, the standard bearers for the party, at least the faces of the party in 2024. Donald Trump should uh, continue to push the America First MAGA agenda from behind the scenes in 2024. Based on what you saw at CPAC, what's your read on that, Pete? 
Well, my read is it's too early to tell because a lot can happen between now and the advent of the next election, which will be in less than two years. We're going to start in earnest trying to select who the candidates are going to be. Having said that, again, there's there's a lot between now and then that could change. But Jim Jordan's precisely right. Without question, Donald Trump dominates the Republican Party. Donald Trump dominates the conservative movement right now. Nobody even comes remotely close. I saw some of the presentations, and I, I loved almost all of them. I mean, I thought Jim Jordan was, frankly, I agreed with Donald Trump that Jim Jordan's presentation was the best, and not simply because he praised Donald Trump, but I thought he gave a, an accurate, concise rendition of the status of the conservative movement right now and who our leader is. And Donald Trump dominates every discussion. Having said that, Christy Noem, I thought, gave a great presentation, and she's got a track record, a sterling track record. Some of the items that she mentioned, I, actually, I would admit, I was not even aware of, but uh, she gave a great presentation. She has um, a great record. Same with DeSantis. Same with, I mean, there are a lot of individuals. You could go down the list of Cotton and Cruz and others. Uh, I happen to agree with some commentators who say that the most viable leaders or candidates for 2000, 2024 would have to be those with executive experience. Senators, like, like the one we currently have as, as president, don't necessarily um, have the chops for that or haven't developed the chops for that. Not to say that people as smart as Cruz or Cotton or, or Hawley or folks like that couldn't do it, but uh, they don't play well in general elections historically. So well, that remains to be seen. What struck me about CPAC, and again, I watched you know snippets here and there while I was working on other things, but uh, what struck me about it was, and I think others have mentioned, the enthusiasm, good cheer on the part of the attendees. We just got allegedly beaten um, in the last election, just a couple of months ago, and the inauguration was only six weeks ago. You would think that they'd be morose, downtrodden, you know, trying to lick their wounds and stuff. But no, they felt as if, number one, two things, they thought that the conservative movement led by Trump is on the ascendancy. And I happen to think that is because there are so many different coalitions that are developing that the conservative movement hasn't seen before. We're expanding the party. Uh, But number two is, well, there there are actually several reasons, but let me give you number two is I think that um, they sense that we've got momentum on our side, as strange as that may sound, because you look at some of the people who spoke at CPAC, these were smart, engaging people who had real solutions, as Donald Trump did, and we see that the other side has no solutions other than Trump is bad. They've got no solutions, and they're making things in six weeks. They've made things demonstrably worse with respect to employment issues, with respect to the border issues, with respect to (laughs) they're, they're reversing themselves with respect to national security issues. The proposals that they have are lunatic, not just the the ridiculous spending that favors only Democratic constituencies or largely Democratic constituencies and has nothing to do with the pandemic, but there's a whole host of other issues where uh, the Democratic, I mean, the, the American people were not behind that. The American people, if in fact, as many people voted for Donald Trump as the tally says, that's not what they were voting for because uh, I'm sorry, for Joe Biden, they, Joe Biden never articulated in any specific way many of the policies that they're now implementing. He was hiding in his basement and simply was not Trump. So I think when you see the backlash, it's fueling what's happening at or happened at CPAC in, in terms of the enthusiasm that you saw on display, in terms of the number of ideas that were being thrown around that are great ideas. And I think... Um, Look, Donald Trump 
right now is the standard bearer. I think most uh, conservatives would prefer to have Donald Trump in 2024. That's my just my casual opinion on that based on observation. Whether or not he's a standard bearer, I mean, I happen to agree with Jim Jordan on what he articulated, but whether or not he's a standard bearer, again, four years from now, long, long yeah. road. Somebody made the point that at his age, his age is not a barrier like it is with Joe Biden because he's supernaturally energetic is, is what they put it. And, and you and I have talked about it. I know when I've met with him, I, I, I was stunned by this guy. This, this is not your ordinary human being. And I know that drives people who hate Trump nuts, but they better appreciate it. Yeah, Just he's like a cyborg. He's, he's he, like a he cyborg. And, and to your point about it being so far away, there's three more CPACs between now and then. So, <laughs> so you're right. But we're just kind of right. reacting to where we are right now. I think a lot of people, too, are still extraordinarily angry about what happened to President Trump with respect to the way the election was conducted and the way things were handled in the courts. So I think there's a lot of people who are like, no, that's still our guy. But let's see where we are a year and two years and, of course, three years from now when it's time to declare again. Okay, Pete, we're going to take our time out here. We're going to come back and talk about the most astounding immigration policy maybe in the history of america it is just six weeks old and it is devastating we'll talk about that next with kirsten now on am 1420 Okay, 1025, we continue with peter kirsten now on am 1420 the answer pivoting our discussion to immigration Pete, it has gotten so bad that even Democrats are condemning and questioning Joe Biden's insane approach to immigration. He wants so desperately to undo everything that Donald Trump did that he is willing to sacrifice the jobs of millions of Americans. I say that not accidentally, but accurately. Millions of Americans by bringing in hundreds of thousands per year of immigrants to do blue-collar jobs that he says that Americans won't do and don't want to do. Uh, I want to play you real quick. This is 13 seconds. This is the DHS Secretary Mayorkas answering a question as to whether or not there's a crisis at the border. Do you believe that right now there's a crisis at the border? I think that the, uh, um, the answer is no. Uh, I think there is a challenge at the border that we are managing, and we have our resources dedicated to, to managing. Tom Holman talked about this morning on Fox, uh, talked about it this morning on Fox, Peter Kersenow. Um They thought it was a crisis a year ago when they had a 1,000 people surging at the border per day. Now there are 4,000 per day, and the new Homeland Security Secretary says that's not a crisis. Peter, go ahead. Yeah, uh, Tom Homan said it extremely well. I did see that clip, and Mayorkas is just, uh, I don't know what to say. Uh, what I, I we're on the airwaves. I don't want to jeopardize the FCC license. As you know, a little less than two weeks ago, I testified before Congress on the whole issue of immigration, and it was abundantly plain. I hate to say this, but when you listened to the Democrats on the House Judiciary Committee before which I was testifying, it was clear they were about not enforcing the border. They wanted as many illegal aliens to cross the border as possible they were completely unconcerned about the blue-collar jobs that would be taken as a result of this but the whole effort here is make no mistake for your listening audience including those individuals who may watch msnbc and cnn democrats have even said this in closed-door meetings this is about turning at bare minimum bare minimum there's a lot of aspects to this but the overarching aspect in the near term is to turn texas blue once texas is blue game over 
Republicans have never had then at that point a path to victory, game over, liberals are in charge, progressives are in charge forever and ever and ever and ever. But in the short term, hundreds of thousands of American workers are going to be affected. One of the proposals that's being made by the the president of Mexico is to have um, a huge number. I can't remember the, the exact number. It's over a million workers from Mexico come to the United States. I think it's between one and four million, actually, come to the United States, work, and then leave. Um, what happens to American workers in the interim? What the heck is, especially they're doing this when we have an effective unemployment rate. It's, you know, it's, it's just slightly north of 6%, which is bad enough under Trump. You know, we were already down to three uh, historic lows as everyone knows, but we're not talking about the labor force participation rate, which has taken a huge hit. That six point something percent is based on those who are actively seeking employment, but the pandemic has obliterated a whole host of people who are even continuing to look for employment. And yet we're going to import more workers. This is devastating, mainly to blue-collar workers, of course, because most of the individuals crossing the border have minimal uh, skills. Uh, And not to denigrate blue-collar workers, but they're going to be competing against unskilled workers for the same types of jobs. And there's, we've talked about this before, Bob. I won't, you know, belabor this with your audience. But there is so much data on the deleterious effects of illegal immigration on the wage and employment levels of all uh, low-skilled, low-income workers, particularly black workers. And what what struck me about this is when I testified before the House Judiciary Committee, uh, Sheila Jackson Lee, I know that Biden has difficulty pronouncing her name, but Sheila Jackson Lee is on that committee. And (laughs) exactly. Uh, Sheila Jackson Lee. Um, She casually dismissed the data that black Americans are hurt dramatically by illegal immigrant competition, just kind of sloughed it off. And she's from Texas. That's where they're going to be. That's where a lot of people are going to be hurt. That's the locus of a significant portion of the legal immigrant population. And they don't care. They don't care. It it was infuriating. I wish more Americans had seen because it was on Zoom. You could probably access it going to the House Judiciary Committee website. Um, You would have been appalled. But Mayorkas is part of this this effort to erase the distinction between illegal immigrants, illegal yep. aliens, and the rest of America. There's no distinction. Remember what he said yesterday, I think it was yesterday, that he's saying, don't come now. In other words, illegal immigrants are welcome. It's just that well, we're kind of overwhelmed now, and the publicity of this is hurting the administration, so don't come right now, but you can come later. Maybe we, when we can absorb you and we have our systems in place. Which is just a it's, call it's to a come complete, right now. I mean, it really it is. is. If you tell them don't come now because there's too much that, of a crowd exactly here. Right. They've all been backed up since the, the, the election anyway because of the promises of the Biden administration. Everybody knew this was going to happen. It's happening, and we're going to be overwhelmed during the entire Biden administration because they don't have an effective enforcement plan in place. You mentioned Shejak being from uh, Texas. And by the way, I cannot believe there's not a meme yet of Sheila Jackson Lee telling Joe Biden, don't call me Shirley. But um, Representative Henry <laughs> Representative Henry Culler, also a Democrat from Texas, said Saturday uh, that the Biden administration's policies here on the border are going to hurt American businesses, embolden drug cartels, and lead to greater spread of the coronavirus, overwhelming local hospitals, saying, quote, you just can't say, yeah, yeah, let everybody in, because we are affected down here at the border. 
He said that smugglers and bad actors are going to use this shift in immigration policy to expand their dangerous and illegal operations because, quote, the bad guys know how to market this, end quote. If that Democrat down there in Texas understands it, how come the rest of them do not? It is that the guys on the front lines know what's going on, and Joe Biden won't listen to them. We'll be right back with Kirsten Al for one final segment after this. Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And we continue now on AM 1420. The answer with Peter Kirsten. Now for one more segment. It's 1036. And uh, Pete, I got time for two more topics with you. And the first of them is going to be reparations. You know that the White House has declared that they are going to be uh, supportive of a congressional committee formed to study the issue and make recommendations on the issue of reparations for the descendants of former slaves. Well, one of Joe Biden's top lieutenants, senior advisor, Cedric Richmond, said, we don't have time to wait. He said, the White House is ready to act right now. Quote, we have to start breaking down systemic racism and barriers that have held people of color back, and especially African Americans who were enslaved. We, I don't know how we're going to help people who were enslaved. They've been gone a long, 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 long time. Um, we have to do stuff now to improve the plights, status, and future empowerment of black people all around the country, and we don't want to have to wait on a study that we even support. Uh, we are going to start acting now. Specifically, he said, it's going to be free college tuition for black students who want to go to HBCUs and then free community college, quote, and all of those things. And I think you are well on your way. Uh, quick response to that from Vince Ellison, author of The Iron Triangle. And I want to see if you agree with this, Peter Kersenow. If black people want to sue for reparations, they should be suing the Democrat Party. Because when you look at our history, you will find that from 1800 to 1865, it was the Democrat Party that had the slaves. From uh, 1865 to 1965, it was the Democrat Party that had the Jim Crow laws and the black codes. These are the kinds of things, of course, that Democrats don't want to talk about. But at any rate, uh, so the Biden, or at least one senior Biden official says, we're moving on reparations in some form or another, whether the Congress comes along with us or not. And you say what? Boy, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, uh, let's just start from whether or not they can do it uh, legally. You know, who says the law may not necessarily constrain them? But nonetheless, I don't know how it is that they can go ahead and simply give free college tuition to you on the basis of your race. That used to be known as racial discrimination, and it is still prohibited by Title VI of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. It's probably a violation of the Fifth Amendment and a whole host of other uh, legal constraints. So that, that's going to be very entertaining to see how they do that. Second of all is I don't know how the White House moves ahead on its own to do anything related to reparations, because by executive order, I know they've been going crazy with executive orders, question whether or not... Um, all of them are lawful, but an executive order is just that. It executes. It executes something that Congress has done. The legislative power in this country still resides in Congress, regardless of how often uh, that quaint notion seems to be breached. But there, there's no, at least 
my cursory look at what's going on here and being on the Civil Rights Commission, I think I have a fairly good handle on this. I know of nothing that authorizes the White House to move ahead before there are any studies and before there's any authorizing legislation on doing things which, at least as expressed by Richmond, would be fundamentally unlawful. They'd have to change the law. And then to change the law, they still have an impediment of the the Constitution. Discriminating on the basis of race, whether or not you have a benign objective or a malign objective, is not good. Because one of the things, and that's putting it mildly, one of the things we used to understand in this country, one of the things that Martin Luther King Jr. preached, and I think he got it right, and most of us agreed he got it right, was that if you discriminate on the basis of race in any regard, it's going to have secondary and tertiary effects down the road. Discrimination in any regard is not good. We want to have people judged by the content of their character, character, etc. So what we have seen and I think you and I have talked about this a couple of times, Bob, what we have seen, uh, the consequence of this obsession with counting by race that has emerged in the last 15 years, you know, under the guise of so-called equity, uh, is a greater division in this country. Every, we are so obsessed with race and every other form of identity I think I've cited the stat for you, and I may be off because I don't have it in front of me, but I'm, I'm pretty close. Back in, uh, Gallup used to have a poll, and I think it still maintains the poll, but it has a poll on the perception of race relations in this country, and it's broken down by race. And, and as do you consider race relations in the country to be uh, good to mostly good? Do you think it's poor? Do you think it's in the middle? And back in 2005, uh, a majority, more Blacks than whites actually believed race relations were, were good or, or uh, very good in this country. That's in 2005. And for both races, it was about 70, 74%. Okay? Fast forward to 2015, 10 years later, that figure for both races plummeted by 30 points. 30 points. And this is during the tenure of the first black president. I was going to say, the importance importance of that is who was president in 2005, a man that they called a racist. They call all Republicans racist, but they attacked George Bush. George Bush doesn't care about black people, blah, 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 blah. And then, of course, as you mentioned, Barack Obama in 2015, one would think that there would be a much better, uh, you know, a much higher number rather than it plummeting 40 or 30 or 40 points. It's astonishing what's happening. We're more divisive now than we were 15 years ago. And it's at least partly a consequence of this obsession with race at a time when racial discrimination is waning like it never has in the history of the United States, except for what used to be known as reverse racism. At a time when we've had, you know, you look at the EEOC charges, the number of charges, et cetera. This, this is it's extraordinary. We've already had a black president, you know, all these racists in this country who, uh, you know, voted for this black president. It's truly extraordinary what's going on, the obsession with race. It is going to poison racial discourse in this country for the foreseeable future. This is not something, a path we should be going down. Yeah, it's going to poison all discourse in this country because of race, not even just racial discourse. But, uh, Pete, I want to, two quick points here, because you keep mentioning the first black president, Barack Obama. Uh, He said last week in an interview that the reason why he didn't do anything about reparations during his eight years in office was, quote, the politics of white resistance and resentment made the prospect of actually um, 
agreeing on any kind of coherent, meaningful reparations program struck me as not only a non-starter, but potentially counterproductive. And I find that interesting, too, because as Larry Elder, our mutual friend, points out all the time, Barack Obama would be in a tough spot some sort of a reparations program yeah. in which the the descendants of slave owners owed money to the descendants of slaves because Barack Obama's mother uh, mother's family owned slaves so as Larry says does Obama cut a check or does he get a check and the same thing could be asked of Kamala Harris who's apparently uh whose uh, um descendants owned slaves on the island of Jamaica so you know when you when you look at it from that standpoint there is a very very mixed um, history, if you will, when it comes to who owned slaves and who descended from those uh, slave owners and, of course, who were slaves and who descended from them. And one last thought, Pete, while you answer that is, let's suppose we do it. Let's suppose we say we're going to make payments right now to the descendants. Does this go on in perpetuity in 2121? Not 2021. 100 years from now, do we continue to pay the 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th generations of slave owners money for what happened back in uh, you know the 17 and 1800s? This is a discussion that would take several days, if not weeks, to unpack <laughs> all of the anomalies, inconsistencies, ludicrousies, if that's even a word. Yeah, well, but you got four Barack, and a half minutes, pal. Yeah, with, with Barack Obama. <laughs> let me just say with Barack Obama. I think Barack Obama finds himself peculiarly, he's kind of astonished that he's behind the woke curve. And I think he's trying to get ahead of it right now, frankly. The, the, the whole issue is one where I think we have gotten... I hate to use this term, we've become insane in this country. We have, got, we have completely lost our marbles. It is nuts. When we talk about systemic racism, for your caller in there who's talking about getting the facts right, I would just simply suggest, go look at the data. Go look at the data and not the propaganda. There's a difference between data and propaganda. Yeah. There's hard facts that you can look to compiled by dispassionate individuals or agencies as opposed to the propaganda we're getting from parties and or the mainstream media. Just take a look at it in terms of where we truly stand on these, very isu- on these various issues. It, it, I, I, I don't know what to say anymore. Again, I, I look at the data almost every day. I comes across my desk or on my computer almost every day. I know what the facts are, the obsession we have in the last several years, for example, with white supremacy. Members of your audience are probably going, where are these guys? You know, they're probably looking for them all over the place. You know, who are these individuals? And I gave you some figures last time around. I could go through a whole litany of figures with respect to the number of alleged white supremacists. What we have to remember right now is I'm not dismissing the fact that in any nation of 330 million people, they're going to be racists and white supremacists. And I'm not also diminishing the, the um, uh, deleterious nature of any form of racism. But the fact of the matter is that when you take a hard look at what is being done with these allegations of white supremacy and racism and white, uh, it, it, this whole identity structure, it is merely an effort to insert a progressive agenda using the wedge of identity politics, race yeah. and identity politics, because they cannot make the argument with respect to these progressive policies on their own terms because they're ludicrous. Open borders is ludicrous. A 1.9 million trillion relief bill that has virtually nothing to do with relief is ludicrous. It's merely a political payoff. Go through the list and consider for a moment, and this is a little bit off, off message here but, or, or off topic, but virtually everything that Biden has done by virtue of executive order 
um, was, has been reversing the policies of a president who, even though lots of people hated him, was wildly successful in terms of improving the lot of Americans. Even if you hate Trump, should, I mean, uh, Biden should pause for a second in his entire administration and say to themselves, well, wait a minute, we're reversing these policies because Trump did them, but you know what? They're actually working, and they're good. The low unemployment rates due to deregulation, reliance, no more reliance on, on uh, foreign oil, etc. The energy independence, they're reversing that. The, the, the situation at the border, they reverse it, and they've got chaos and a crisis there. This is simply nuts at this point. We should be doing what's best for Americans, regardless of ideology. And even if you don't like Trump's ideology, recognize that on a practical basis, he made things much better than they were before he got into office. That, that's that's exactly right, and uh, that's something that the the ultimate irony, maybe irony isn't the right word, is that the the phenomenal gains that people of color made during Trump's four years in office are being undone every single day by Joe Biden's decisions, based on what we talked about before alone on immigration and the number of uh, blacks who are disproportionately affected in losing their blue collar jobs because they're competing with these you know non English speaking non skilled laborers coming in from uh, some of these other countries. Uh, you know the irony is, of course, that they voted for this. They did. But, you know, we, yes, we talked about this in the run-up to the election, obviously for many, many months. How many blacks would need to vote for Trump in order for Trump to hold on to the White House? Um, and it was more than the last time around, but it was not enough. The African-American community continues to go over the top for Democrats and for their own demise. And that's the, uh, that's the sad part about all of it. Pete, last question for you on race. <clears throat> We talked about CPAC before. This isn't about the speeches. This isn't about the people. This is about the stage. You've seen this story. The stage layout in the Wyatt Hotel down in Orlando, Florida, for CPAC this past weekend was in a very strange shape. People noticed and pointed out that it looked like almost an exact replica of something called the Odell or Odell Rune, which apparently is a Nazi symbol. That often was used in place of the swastika, according to what some have pointed out on social media. Now, I'm not up on my Nazi symbolism, I'm afraid to say, or maybe I'm happy to say, I don't know. But when you look at it, it is very, very similar to that, uh, the way the stage was laid out. And the left has gone nuts saying now they're not even trying to hide it. They're openly expressing their support for Nazism by way of their stage. Pete, you saw it. Um, I saw it. Um, I can't explain it. It's bizarre, but there is not any comprehensible way that they would have intentionally put a a stage design together that would show a support for Nazism. Um, What's your take on it? Uh, Of course they wouldn't. Um, This is similar to, remember when the the, uh, one aide to Kavanaugh was seated behind him during the confirmation hearings and casually had her fingers arranged in a certain fashion that the left went nuts about saying that this was a Nazi sign, the OK sign. Um, 99.999% of Americans were going like, what? They had were completely oblivious to it. What I found impressive, though, is... There's a, a cadre within the left that is obsessed with this Nazi symbolism that virtually no one else is even aware of. They know more about this than almost anybody. <laughs> it's almost kind of a, an underground cult. It's it, truly, Bob. I mean, I, I guarantee you, your audience is going like, what? We never knew that. And to allege that this is some kind of silent signal, was it, what was the signal? That we're all Nazis? That we're, we're supposed to now storm the Capitol again? This is 
again, we're, we're on the verge. A lot of commentators have said this, but I'll just simply say it. It's, it's insane. That's the only thing you could say. It's truly insane. But beyond that, who is acting? I'm not saying no, anyone's a Nazi. But what we are seeing from the left and what we've seen over the last several years is an authoritarian impulse from the left that you don't see from the right. For a long time in common culture, in popular culture, the idea was that authoritarianism, totalitarianism, was the province of the right. And, you know, there are a number of movies and books about this stuff, but historically, it's coming from the left. And right now in America, the cancel culture, censorship, etc., is all coming from the left. Uh, truly astonishing. It's, you know, the, the old proverbial pot calling the kettle black. It is all of that and more. Uh, insane doesn't describe. I, I really have to start doing these shows with you with a thesaurus next to me. We've got to find new words to describe these things. Insane doesn't quite get it done right. for what they're trying to say here. But Peter Kersenow, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you for your great wisdom and insight. We'll talk soon. Take care, Bob. 1052, right back after this. All right, 1056, <clears throat> final segment of this Tuesday edition of The Authority. Appreciate uh, Peter Kersenow, appreciate Jack Windsor. If you were listening in the first hour, uh, first half hour in particular, you heard me telling the story about the attack on free speech. And this was an attack on free speech in a speech about free speech. I know that sounds really, really convoluted, but my point is I read the full context, the full contents, the full transcript of the speech given by this Tennessee high school principal who was suspended for telling his students to be wary and protective of their free speech because cancel culture and big tech oligarchs are deciding what people can see and can't see. They're deciding what people can read and can't read. They're deciding what people can say and can't say and wielding a massively heavy hammer against those who try to violate those rules. So this principal was telling his students, be very careful. Once you accept the cancellation of somebody for speech, eventually somebody is going to be offended at your speech, and you will be the next one to be canceled. So this principal, giving this dire warning to his students in a video address, was suspended for speaking to them about defending their own free speech. The First Amendment to the Constitution. He was suspended. There's a lawsuit pending, and we'll keep you updated on that as we go. I bring it up because I wasn't able to <coughs> excuse me, take any phone calls on it because of the guest schedule today. But you can find it on my Facebook page and on my MeWe page and on my Gab page. If you are not yet members of Gab.com or MeWe.com, there are Facebook kinds of prof, uh, platforms, and I do indeed use those as I continue to try to wean off of Fakebook slash book. Find me there, and you'll find those stories, or that story, rather, of that principle, including the full text that I read to you. All right, that's going to do it for us today. I do appreciate you being a part of it, as always. Make sure you continue to leave messages on the Authority message line. Uh, we keep playing that for you, so when the show is over and you've still got something to say, it can be said, it can be heard if you leave the message for us uh, on the Authority message line. We'll play those like we did today a little bit uh, each and every day. 
All right, that's it. Stay where you are. Mike Gallagher is coming up next. Then stay for Charlie Kirk. Then stay for Dennis Prager. And then, heck, why not stay for uh, Sebastian Gorka? And if you're going to have the radio on this afternoon and evening, leave it on Jay Seculo. And then, of course, stick with it for Larry Elder. All day, all night, I will put this conservative radio lineup against any in the business at any radio station in the country. That's it. Be safe. Be well. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.